You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. On today's episode of Talking Taiwan, my guest is Elena Liao, the founder of Day Company and winner of last year's Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition, organized by Taiwan Merchants Association and Taiwanese American Professionals New York. Welcome to the podcast, Elena. Hello. Great. Um, so, Elena, uh, I hope I pronounced the name of your company correct. Is it De, like the Taiwanese pronunciation of tea? Um, you know, it's so interesting to ask about that because um, when we talk about it in English um, or different languages, I guess, in the European countries, um, the way we say tea, it, it actually, it is from China. Tea is from China. So, during the exploratory times, depends on which country. Um, like if you're a France French explorer, if you're a Portuguese explorer, um, you hit different parts of China. So because of the dialect, so in Mandarin it's cha. So the Portuguese in Portuguese is they call tea cha, um, mm. but in French because they hit the probably the southeast area of China, um, they call it tea. Um, so it is originally from. Um, the Taiwanese pronunciation or the um, Fukinese um, pronunciation of day. Um, it's just an ex kind of a <laughs> modernized version, but yes, it's, yeah. you could say day, you could say tay, you could say whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay, great. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, you know, something, some interesting piece of trivia. Um, so, I wanted to ta start with talking to you about um, the Entrepreneur Challenge and competition because in many ways that's what gave you your start. So how did you hear about the competition? Um, it was, I didn't even know about um, the TAP, the Taiwanese Professional Network, um, this, this community. I didn't even know about it until this competition. It was when my friends knew that I was kind of doing something with a startup on my own um, that they forwarded me like hey like you should go try to do this um, since the product is tea Taiwanese is oolong tea is like very Taiwanese driven um, so then they suggested that I started to like look into it so I did um, and that's how I heard and that's how I found out the entire network about TAP and how it's everywhere and the, about the TMA I didn't know anything about this um, but yeah it's just a friend emailing to me <laughs> Oh great! Yeah. And and so, um, how much time did you have to write the proposal? Like at that time, how much time did you have before the actual deadline? I can't remember for sure, but I know that it wasn't um, a long time. I might have had like two and a half months, maybe two two and a half months. Mm -hmm. probably. Okay, interesting. And then, so how did you how did you get started? You know, that's a really huge undertaking. How did you know where to start when you wrote your proposal or what to even write in it? Um, when I decided to do this, um, it was really, for me, I didn't think that I would win or I didn't think anything of that. I just thought it was a, I mean, winning would be nice, but I thought it was a good opportunity for me to put my thoughts down on paper the way that I would do, like, you know, the, the, in the, how I would have had my professional job or you know my past professional jobs and putting a deck together and presenting and um, as you write as you put things down you're basically what we're, do we're I'm forcing myself to do is organizing my thoughts and organizing the structure um, basically paving a path 
And was I think the hardest part about being an entrepreneur is that you have to give yourself deadline. And that's, it's not hard. It's just important that you find ways to give yourself deadline and do milestones. Otherwise, you can lose track. So this was kind of the starting starting point of that. You know, different milestone metric where you have to have uh, a plan and a few short-term, long-term, medium-term goals. Um, so that's kind of uh, that's kind of how I started um, to put things down on paper. And I've already had a few ideas how I want to do things, different versions, a different uh, a few different ideas on how I can take the company or how I want to take the company. So. Um, with this opportunity, you're really forced to think uh, more strategically and putting things down and making sure that they, they're sound decisions and sound plans. So in going through the um, Entrepreneur Challenge and Competition, what was the most challenging aspect? Because there were, there were other um, rounds for mm-hmm. you to present um, and make it to the finalists. Like, what aspect do you think was most challenging? I think condensing. I think I submitted this year. I think they put a limit on how many pages they can submit. Last year, I think when I submitted my plans in the first iteration, I think mine was like a thirty-page deck. Wow. Um, and there are written pictures. There is a lot of things. There's tea, you know, listings. You know, a bunch yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think this year it's uh, the limit's fifteen pages. <laughs> right. And they're like, oh, <laughs> I can't read all this stuff. Um, so I think it's a matter of being condensed and to the point um, and I think it's hard for me because there's so many details and you want them to understand you want to explain you want to explain the trend you want to explain your strategy you want to explain you know the brand and there's a lot to explain and the little technical things I don't know every aspects of the of the business that you think of that you want to per- convey it's you know you I write in details to right. make sure they get it, and I consider myself a pretty bullet point person. Like a, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of patience in general, like reading things. So I try to make sure it's bullet pointed. And you know, if you just sk- skim through, like you'll get the gist of it. And even then, it gets me to like thirty pages, and it's worse when you have to present it in eight minutes. Yeah, um, yeah. So you had to fit in uh, the thirty pages in eight minutes. <laughs> right. So at the end, I think the last. Um, when we had the final six, I think at my deck was probably either six pages or eight pages. Wow. Uh, and a con- it's condensing from 30 pages. And to be able to speak um, very precisely about exactly what you're trying to say and deliver in a very succinct manner, um, but not losing content and not losing passion and articulate all the little details, I think that was difficult. I forgot. I even forgot to talk about myself. Like that was one of the questions from the judges. Like, can you talk about myself? <laughs> heavily involved in this brand and the company, and they're like, "Oh, so who are you?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, duh, I should have probably said some mentioned something about that." But um, right, sometimes yeah. it's the most obvious things. <laughs> I know, and I completely. Whew, I didn't even. <laughs> I'm glad they asked. Yeah. So, what advice would you have for this year's competitors? Um, I think I think that's the things are already do, but you know, start early, do a lot of revisions, um, and even when you're chosen for the next sixteen, I would you know go through, make sure that there's, a, it's a sound. Co- I mean, I think they'll pick the ones that get picked are usually very good plans already, 
Um, so yeah, definitely just to the point, make sure you're, it's a well-rounded um, plan and talk about yourself. Don't be like me and not <laughs> forgot about that. Um, and then be confident, be passionate. I think that's something that show kind of show comes through when, you know, I've talked to a few other kind of entrepreneurs and you know, the ones that are really dedicated, really passionate and really truly believe in their, in their plan. Um, it really does come, come through and everyone, everyone's plan, my plan probably has a ton of fault, you know, a little slightly, little flaws in them. And it's when you start to do it, that you start changing or tweaking all those little, you know, strategic flaws you might have or you refine it as you go. But what's not going to get you forward is if you don't have passion for what you want to do. Because if that doesn't, it's not there, it's, I think it's hard for you personally to push yourself forward to achieve a dream. So I definitely think that um, conveying that sense of passion is important. Right, yeah, it, it, it could be a long road ahead or uh, a road with challenges to build Definitely your business. Challenges. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely long. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, well, what did you use the prize money for specifically, and how did that help you to launch your business? Um, I think for every business, it's going to be different. For me or for the Tag company, we really I could. In truth, is a, is a commodity business, right? The the tea is it's like wine or it's like sugar, it's like flour. It's it's commodity, it's an agricultural commodity. Obviously, it's highly highly processed and highly. Um, I mean, when I say processed, not in a bad way, but in a in a artisanal kind of traditional culturally, uh, a heritage. It's almost like a heritage agricultural product. So, for me what was important is for me to bring that product here and the point of it is to introduce it to the American tea drinkers or non-tea drinkers or uh-huh. who are intrigued about tea who don't know much about tea and who don't however way to communicate to them and educate them about the brand so with that in mind branding was very important having very good products and having a very strong brand uh, from a marketing strategic standpoint is important. So for me, first thing, even before the competition, I was working on that already, is to working with the designer to come up with a brand. Um, I have a little bit, little bit, really little bit of marketing background uh-huh. from work and from school. Um, so I was able to work with a freelance designer and I mean, trying to find a reasonably rated, you know, right. priced <laughs> designer to help help out with the graphics and doing the actual proto you know the 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 fonts and the styles and the pictures and the image board um and then packaging so the final delivery of the the product needs to have convey a strong sense of emotional connection um to the brand and to the understanding of the lifestyle that the brand's trying to convey i think that's um and positioning myself to be that that I don't know that segment of customer uh-huh. uh, who are intrigued about food, who are artisanal, who are in, into artisanal processed foods, um, culinary enthusiasts. Like those are the type of people who are cu- culturally diverse. Um, so that's what I mainly spend the the ECC funding for was for production and for the, with the designer um, setting up, you know, putting together the brand. Right. Okay. 
So let's uh, step back a little bit. Like even before this opportunity to participate in the ECC came about, how did you even get on this path of becoming like a tea connoisseur? Um, I would call myself a tea connoisseur. I think I'm a tea merchant. Okay. Um, by that I mean I, I mean I started. I would take a step back. I drank tea all my life. So I grew up in Taipei, So and I moved here when I was young. However, I've never stopped drinking tea. That's something my family, I guess, is very used to. My mom only drinks tea. Um, the lady doesn't even drink water. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's how we grew up. And as we moved different places, my mom always sends us tea. Or when we go home, she would, oh, do you want tea? Do you it's very much a part of my routine. You know, I don't think much about it, though. I know which ones I like, which ones I didn't like. Um, and I have friends in the past who has they have family that they are now one of my you know suppliers, and they help me out with a lot of um, information. Uh-huh. From knowing him, I know a little bit more about tea. Um, and then it's when I kind of um, there's a period of time when I was unemployed. And then I was kind of looking around to see what I would do. Um, it was uh, during 2008, 2009 when the economic, you know, outlook wasn't right. so good. Um, and that was for me to think about what would I do outside of working for big corporations and what am I, um, I guess when you time that you're an employee, you ask a lot of questions, right? You sure, ask, yeah. What, what am I good at? What do I want? You know, this is the opportunity for you to kind of slightly press the reset button. Right. Um, So from then, I think one day my friend was visiting New York and she was like, hey, I'm going to this um, coffee thing, this intelligentsia coffee thing. They have a barista thing and there's the espresso tasting and all this stuff. And I thought that was so cool. And I'm also a coffee drinker outside of being a pretty aggressive tea drinker. I'm also a coffee drinker, so at the time I was also reading and kind of learning about coffee and how what's so great about these different small boutique roasters or um, at, the, at that time I think it was the beginning of the Blue Bottle Espresso and there's in New York it's, there long, it's a, there's a long heritage, um, it's a seven, or 9th Street Espresso or 7th Street Espresso from the East Village just very artisanal, um, small producers and purveyor of amazingly brewed espressos or coffees, mm. and they're really paying attention to how the beans are roasted, where are they harvested, um, and how to process them and make make a and you know an, not, not infusion, but make a drip coffee or make a espresso. So from there, I was curious to see if we could do that with tea because nobody really does tea and. I think mm-hmm. I was talking to her, I, I, I was drinking a cup of tea and I was thinking, well, then I maybe I could try to do something with tea. Right, right. So that's how I started, like a really casual thought. And I was talking to a friend, another friend about it. She's like, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. And she didn't really enjoy her job at the time. So we're both kind of researching at the same time of, you know, what's the market? What do we know? Um, what are the key players? Um, what's out there? Kind of doing a little bit of survey. Uh-huh. And right. then, then she had to move to Shanghai for a job. Oh, I see. <laughs> like, unfortunately. Oh, okay. So you started with a partner, but then, yeah, she had to relocate. Yeah, and, and that's totally, was totally fine. Um, I eventually realized that um, I can't, I wouldn't be a good merchant of a, of, a, of a product if I don't know the product. 
Right. So then that's that exactly then it's when I started to read a lot about teas. Um, so, I mean, internet is my best friend. <laughs> I mean, and I'm serious. I don't think schooling is, I don't know. There's, I, I feel like nowadays you don't have to go just to, to learn about something. To you, didn't, you don't need a certificate to do anything. Yeah. You can Google everything you possibly want to know and guarantee you there's a form, there is a study. Like, you can even find a lot of, like, education. Like, I've, I think I was reading about teas like benefits or whatever like you can see a lot of scholar papers too right. from Google yeah like from different universities about oh I think I was reading about caffeine um and so there are studies that you can just read hmm. right well yeah and then and you can YouTube everything too <laughs> you can learn how to do things on YouTube video education picture education texts um and then what I eventually wound up doing is going to visit the gardens um because in Taiwan. In Taiwan. So it was important for me to see from where does it begin. And I, when I was little, like, I've seen tea gardens. I know what they look like um, because they're all over Taiwan. But I never really, like, paid attention. Um, right. And I was very lucky because my grandfather um, is in the horticulture. Like, she's a scholar in horticulture. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can actually have a lot of contact to people locally. Um, right. lives in the northeast of Taiwan mm-hmm. um, so he had a lot of contact so then I wound up just going to a few of his friends or old friends um, and seeing their gardens and I remember sitting with um, an old man he's been processing teas probably for like 80 years or, he, wow. or 60 years he's really wow. old and now he doesn't do it anymore his children do it or his grandchildren do it or he hires people but he just sits and it just it, you looking at him and the way he talks about his product, the tea gardens that he's had forever, um, and he he was describing to uh, to us the timing of when to pick the tea leaves is it's not before seven o'clock and you cannot pass noon. So there's a very specific timing. It's, it has to do with how the the tea plant pulls water into its um, throughout the plant. And a certain level is the best um, best time to pick it. Wow! Um, so it is exactly. It's so fascinating, and it's there's such a science and art behind um, the operation from the from the front end, um, and that, and that's just picking, and the that's twenty percent, maybe thirty percent of the work. The other seventy percent is actual processing. Is the person who's Touching the tea leaves, um, and they they set up that they're they kind of uh, they dry not dry it, but they put it out in the sun like in the day to let it wilt, and then in a very controlled environment to let it degradate and then um, oxidize. There's a very specific temperature, a very specific time. Um, when people process a harvest, they don't sleep. They generally take naps because wow. they have to make sure that all the steps are um, properly achieved. Wow. Um, which is a very, very cumbersome process. So I can't say that I'm a tea connoisseur. I can see, say that I'm a merchant who under, who tries my, who I try my best <laughs> to understand as much about tea as I can from a production standpoint, from a flavor, taste, notes of, um, you know, all your flavoring notes and understanding different kinds of tea. Um, being, basically being a good translator, a oh. good translator to, to 
what the customer here would, would want and what kind of question they would ask or what kind of tea that I can anticipate they would want. Um, so I think that's really my role um, and kind of a curated experience uh, right. for people here. Uh, I see on your website that you've described semi-oxidized teas as oolong tea. I'm wondering, what does that mean, semi-oxidized? And are all semi-oxidized tea, by definition, oolong tea? Yeah. Um, I think oolong tea is like a generic name for, um, and semi-oxidized is kind of a technical term. Okay. Um, so if you think about the tea family, like you can probably make green t- white tea, green tea, or even yellow tea, oolong tea, black tea, all with one single plant. Wow. So it, what's, what's the difference is how they process that harvest. Interesting. So green tea, it, they don't process it at all. It's basically they pick it and they apply heat to it. The Japanese steams them and the, the Chinese fry them in a pan. Hmm. Um, what that does is it stops the oxidation process. Um, it's very similar to wine. So like Wine free. I think they freezes the um, yeast. They freezes the the wine to stop it from producing yeast, turning sugar to alcohol. Right. Tea. They they heat it to stop the oxidation. Um, so then they become different kinds of tea. So green tea okay. is immediately picked. Very soon they they fry it or they fry or steam it so they apply heat. That's why it's so green. Yeah. Okay. Um, and black tea is 100% oxidized. It goes 100% through the rice. So the color, the flavor, it's it's very different. Okay. It's through this process, almost like an apple turning brown, uh, kind right. of process for the the plant in, to interact with oxygen. Um, that it starts to tea starts to produce these different fragrance oils, different fragrant chemical uh, that comes out. Um, so it's in that oxidation process at different levels. You get kind of a different flavor of tea. Um, so then the same plant applies to green tea, oolong teas, and black teas. They could be on the same plant. It just, it'll taste so different because of, of how it's processed, essentially. Mm-hmm. So oolong tea is semi-oxidized. Generally, it's ranged between, I don't know, 8 to 10% to 75% um, oxidation. Um, and generally, the lighter oxidized teas um, are more like green tea. They're very light, very vegetal, um, very fragrant and floral, um, and lightly like fresh lilies and light, light florals versus when you go to a more heavily oxidized tea, you get more of the head flowers or peonies. You get more roses. Um, you'll get some stone fruit flavors um, and then a little bit more coppery that minerality of copper comes through um, when it's more on the higher oxidized end. Right, so then white tea or yellow tea are less oxidized as well? Then? Correct. I think right. yellow tea, they have to cover it. They let it, like, I don't know the exact term right. for the yellow tea. Right. Right. Um, and yellow tea is very rare. Like, I barely see them. Mm. Yeah, I haven't heard that term before. So it sounds yeah. like oolong somewhere in the middle then. It's definitely in the middle. Yeah. And what's interesting about oolong to me and why I wanted to focus on it, because there's such a wide range of flavor varieties because you have so many different oxidation levels right. versus um, the black teas, you, it's more about, you know, smoking the black tea or adding, you know, like the Earl Grey, which has right. bergamot oil, mm-hmm. uh, different flavoring of the black tea, whereas oolong tea is naturally 
the plant developing different mm. flavors and different perfumes and different notes of mm. um, different scents by the nature of its oxidate, you know, degradation, basically. Mm. Um, so I think that's fascinating to yeah. explore. Very similar to wine. Interesting. Yeah, so then, so for people out there who, who don't know that much about tea or learning, then, like, the stuff that we buy in the grocery store, the Lipton's tea, that's like the black tea that's on the, you know, the yep. most oxidized, right? Yep. Okay, great. So I imagine that you probably know, uh, well, I don't know if I should assume this, that you know how to perform or you know something about the traditional Taiwanese tea ceremony, and I'm wondering yeah. how or does that ritual make a difference in the way that the tea tastes, that and preparation? Yes, yeah, certainly does. Um, uh, from then, I, I think it's more of a cultural experience. And it does taste good when you have the little, um, they call it the smelling cup, not the smelling cup, but like in Chinese it's called wenxiangbei. It has it's the tall one where you pour the tea there first and then you pour it into the little cup when you drink out of the little cup and then you smell the residuals on the, on the little, the tall, the wenxiangbei, the smelling cup. Um, that the tea has left the aroma in there, and it keeps it because it's tall. Um, it's an experience. It's like you would use certain specific kinds of glasses. In Riedel's case, they make wine glass stemware. They make different glasses for different wines. So I imagine that you might know something about how to perform a traditional tea ceremony, or I'm also wondering... Does that ritual itself or the steps of the ceremony make a difference in the way that tea tastes? Yeah, I think it does. Um, not, not, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's also a what kind of tea were you using for the tea. So it's from a technical standpoint, like drinking tea out of this little, these little tiny cups and you have like the smelling, um, there's these tall, they look like shot glasses, but they're really skinny. Um, you pour tea in it and then you pour it out to another smaller look, shot glass looking teacups um, and you drink it out of it and you smell out of the tall one. Um, it's a different experience. It's, it's, you know, from a technical standpoint, using those specific things in the pot um, and having very, very delicate, small tasting of each tea. It's an experience on, on its own mm. relative to the normal tea drinking experience in the United States is you get a giant mug, you know, you get a big, um, or, or a medium size, you know, it's, it's a different right. experience, right? So it's the same thing as drinking wine out of a, um, normal cup that you, we do sometimes <laughs> or drinking wine out of this amazing, your really designed, read all this designed stemware for a specific Bordeaux that you drink. So inherently there's going to be differences. The, other thing is, I mean, putting the other thing is when you do the traditional Chinese ceremony, or it's not really a ceremony per se. I think it's not. I think as stringent as the Japanese, there's set a strict set of rules against a tea ceremony, right? So the Chinese is more. I think it's more a gathering um, and calming experience where um, it's sh it's meant to be shared. There's always five or six, you know, little cups for everyone. It, People surround the tables and you do a tasting and you're drinking and you're chatting and you're basically what it is, it's, it brings people together and it's a, 
it's an element of sharing, not just good teas, but you know the stories that comes with the teas, or just people chatting and mm-hmm. getting to know each other, or for family to be together. So from that end, it's a little bit more on the lifestyle kinds of um, approach and, and sentiments, and I think that's also important. Oh, what a great, uh, great to have. Um, Versus just having, you know, your own. It's a lot more communal. Right, yeah. What, what um, a great image. But um, So when they're tasting, is it usually one type of tea? Or do they sometimes uh, taste a few different ones together? Or? Oh, they generally do one at a time. Yeah. So they have one pot, you know. So uh-huh. One pot, different. Um, and they'll switch it out. So the good teas goes about two or three times, uh, at least three steepings. So we'll get through that. And everyone's drinking like a little bit. So it's not like a really hectic, it's not a lot of tea. Yeah. Well, you could, you could just chat away and be, you know, (laughs) drinking too much. Uh, And they'll switch out the new teas and they'll train change. And then, you know, then you talk about the teas and whatever. So yeah, it's just a continuous process. It could just be a one you know one time or one varietal deal could yeah. be worth it you know yeah. Yeah. yeah no I just want to clarify that because sometimes when we hear the term tasting you think of wine tastings or comparison or whatever uh, yeah. well it's different like when I go yeah. to tastings for people and it's for a specific purpose for a yeah. restaurant right. I want to pick out a tea then I would kind of probably use a different approach yeah um, so it depends yeah so I also noticed on your website that you you described oolong tea, or at least the t- the type of oolong tea that you're producing as an artisanal espresso, and I find that interesting because you know I've never seen the word espresso used to describe tea. I thought it was more of a coffee term. So could you explain like uh, what an espresso tea is, or how the term relates to tea? Um. It's not really espresso tea, um, but I, I don't. I, I, you know, what's interesting about that? Some somebody actually did that in in the West Village. Oh. What they did is they took tea and they found this machine, this high pressurized espresso machine, uh-huh. um, and they it's called tea, press tea or tea. The oh. name is short press tea, I think, mm-hmm. or tea press. I forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they use pressure to steep the tea out instead of coffee grinds they use tea oh, leaves wow uh, so the, in the, that's actually true for for them right interesting uh, for me it isn't so i was more so like what i was saying before inspired by people who um really cared for that specific agricultural product and really cared for the the manner of which it is produced how it produces you know an espresso or a drip coffee or something and kind of inspired by that um, to see if we can similarly replicate that genre of um, consumption to tea. Um, so you think about, you know, when we think about tea, coffee, we think about Starbucks being the premium, but they're, it's also very commercialized. Yeah. Um, does the product necessarily great? It's not bad, but I don't think it's pro- as good as it could possibly be. Um, and then if you think about the blue bottle coffee of the world, Intelligentsia, um, um, what's the other one? La Colombe, there's a lot of rotis- ro- coffee roasting plants that um, are small and they're very, very delicate with their product. And that's kind of my inspiration in making the tea um, in that model, uh, but not necessarily like actually you know, like the press tea guys that are doing, actually putting it in a pressurized espresso maker. Okay, um, got it. 
right when I th- that you mentioned because yeah. that, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. I, I think it's doing I learned something new. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, also when I think of es- espresso, I mean, I'm not a coffee connoisseur, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think of something that's much, th- much more concentrated. Um, so yeah. is that also what you're saying is that um, the way that you make your tea, it's a, it's a little more concentrated? Or? Um, no, mine is, I'm going the traditional route of, and I encourage people not to use tea bag. It's all loose leaf, full leaf tea, and I encourage them to just let it in. I mean, if you don't have any teapot, I mean, bring a bowl, put hot water in it, put tea in it, let the tea, and just let the tea expand and release the flavors and then um, decant it or filter it. Um, that's the best way to drink tea. I'm more of a naturalist. Uh-huh. I like uh, how it was intended to be infused. It's, it's kind of my philosophy. Um, I think the strong and then light and how ha- strong you want your tea, that's up to everyone has a different standard on that for themselves. Um, so it's totally up to you how you want to drink it. And I think you can have it really strong. You can have it really light. You can, And then the different steepings, you'll get a different flavor. And different temperature, you get a different experience. So it's a very versatile product. And you can basically treat it however you want it for yourself. So it's also a very democratic process. Right. So are you saying like with a tea bag that it makes your tea much more concentrated or you have less control over using loose leaves? So the tea bag, so it depends on what you're, um, how you refer to tea bag. So we, I have, you know, I, for the convenience of consumption, sometimes I'll use a little bit of like open or like empty tea bags. You just put a teaspoon of tea, loose leaf tea in it mm-hmm. and just plop it in a mug or whatever. Um, like if you're on, on the go, that's convenient. Um, but what it is, is I think the tea bags itself, it's hard to find something that doesn't, I think it filters out the delicacies a little bit. Not greatly, but it does filter out a little bit of the delicate flavors. Um, and from a space point of view, it actually inhibits the growth of the tea leaves um, because they have to expand because they're mm-hmm. full leaves, so they do have to expand. Right. Um, so that's what I meant by I probably encourage not, not, not using tea bags if you don't have to. Right. Uh, right. But that doesn't apply to... Uh, like the normal tea bags you see in the grocery store, those are different. Those, okay. I didn't know they could range from a things that are not fully, if not they could be broken, they could be fully. It depends. So you have a lot of variety. Oh yeah, I'm sure the leaves that are in the tea bags are different too, because you know they may have to be adjusted to fit in the bag. Right. Yeah. Um, you've also compared oolong tea to fine wine, or you could compare it to aged whiskey. Can you t- talk a little bit about that comparison? Yeah, I mean, wine, it's very similar to whiskey. It's, it's from a, you know, you think about the vine, you think about the, uh, the grapes and the different, sh- different types of grape and makes different kinds of wine, and it's also heavily pre- processed. Um, there's a heavily involvement in the, in the process to for it to become from grape to wine, right? And it's similar for tea. You have the tea cultivars, different kinds of cultivars and different varietals, and then that, um, there, and then there's a, a highly processed from a human touch point point of view, and then um, that becomes the finished product of tea. Um, where the location of, from a, from a varietal, natural agricultural point of view, um, you know, you 
where the teas are grown, so very similarly to where the wines are from, um, it gives you a different flavor. The oolong teas that you get in mm-hmm. Taiwan versus the oolong teas that you get in China are very different, right? Oh, Even right. in Taiwan, different parts of Taiwan gets you a different kind of Sure, flavor. sure, yeah, yeah the, t- the um, weather conditions, the soil, um, yeah, exactly. a number of things. Like what they call this terroir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Process. Right. So, like, you know, you could age wine or whiskey, but could tea be aged, I wonder? Yeah. Really? I actually have one right now where we um, found in our rare reserve section where it's a, um, it's a 10-year-old um, frozen summit um, tea where that the, they, every year as they age, they take it out um, and they rebake it kind of they roast it a oh, little to wow. get rid of the humidity to get rid of the moisture and then mm-hmm. make it actually creates layers of flavors as you roast them multiple times um so they do that every year multiple times maybe a few times a year uh, and they age it and you get this amazingly wonderful deep whiskey like tea which wow. is so much um like very leathery it's um a little bit of damp mossy because it's old um, it's it's a great 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 tea and um, actually if you think about the pu'ers of the world it's like tea can definitely be aged and sometimes they you know are aged for value like it gets more expensive right oh yeah I'm sure and I mean they're adding they're do, doing all this uh, labor they're spending all this labor on it right interesting so right now, all of I see that most of, well, all of your teas are come from Taiwan, and I'm wondering is that part of your brand identity? Um, I don't pound it in that it is, um, but because two things because I'm from Taiwan, so it's easier for me to get really good quality. I have a better network, and to start there, so that's right. the obvious. The second is Taiwan is actually one of the best producing oolong teas in the world. And if you talk to anybody who are actually tea connoisseurs or any tea merchants who are very into tea, they'll tell you that, yeah, like, they'll probably sell a lot of green tea, a lot of black tea, but they personally, they love the oolongs and that they're gorgeous, they're elegant, they're complex, and they're delicate. Uh, it's actually a lot of the tea connoisseurs' favorite kinds of teas, oolongs, and they all know that the best ones come from Taiwan. So outside of my own heritage and connection, it's actually a very the best place probably to source. I'm not saying like, oh, the Chinese oolongs aren't good. It's not that. It's um, There's some, the Taiwanese is, I should say, I should contribute some of this to, I think, the Japanese as well. So when they were, when they ruled Taiwan, they set up an institution that really studies and grow the, this, grows this sector of um, the economy. So then they have a lot of competition. They host um, the how do I explain this? They'll have new varietals that they come come up with by, you know, ch- changing the different vines or changing the different cultivars or merging the cultivars to create uh-huh. a new cultivar. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a lot of kind of R and D behind um, um, the Indus tea industry in Taiwan, which makes it a lot more sophisticated and better. And they exchange, you know, information and techniques about how to process the tea. So all of that contribute to a much better product overall for, for the island. So it's right. not a purposeful thing, but, you know, I think it's a good place to start. Right, right. 
So could you explain how you produce your tea? Uh, what is the actual tea making process, like the steps, and what's your involvement in that process? So I can't actually produce them from a from a fresh tea harvest too. Right. Um, that takes a master tea artisans to be able to do that, and that had um, decades and decades of experience to be able to do that. Okay. My involvement is really to go th be in touch point, have touch points with those processes when they are happening and try to make sure that the quality of which the teas are being processed and um, that the, the quality is maintained um, from when it's processed to when the customer gets it. That's my involvement to make sure. From a pure tea standpoint where we don't do the blends, it's just pure teas, um, I need to make sure I find a, a very good source that very good quality, very interesting, very unique, amazing teas, and I make sure that the quality of that is ma maintained um, from there to here, from for someone who's experiencing um, when they're steeping the tea. Okay, so how many people are currently involved with uh, with your company right now? Right now, there's me, and then we have a culinary advisor. Um, who helps us with a lot of the tea blends. So um, he comes from the culinary world. So he has a lot of in industry experience in kitchens and have very, um, and it's actually, he has a really good experience between you, you, the three Michelin restaurants, like very high-end fine dining um, in Europe and also in New York, um, a great restaurant's experience. And what, what that helps us is he brings different ideas of how, they look at food, they look at ingredients, and what we can blend with tea, so the different kinds of herbs they use, spices they use, things that you don't see very com that very common out in the marketplace um, that they use, and then the purveyors that they use. Uh -huh. Those are th things that he helps us with. Great. And obviously, the flavors, when we, always, when we do tastings, um, of different blends, obviously it's a very collaborative experience, you know, experience where we make the teas and we'll, we'll take notes on what we like, what we don't like. Um, oftentimes like, we'll get the herbs, there'll probably be, I don't know, four or five different kinds of herbs. We'll dehydrate them, make sure that they're um, cleaned and dried and then, you know, we'll do different versions. We'll taste a, taste a light tea, pair light tea with them or pair a medium roast and pair a, pair a dark roast to the same different herbs and find which one, which herbs goes better with which kinds of tea because there's a lot of combinations and permutations that could happen. Um, so it's a pr pretty involved process to kind of fine tune which herb is best with, with which tea. Um, so that's what's something that we do a lot together. Yeah, so that's something interesting because I see that besides just oolong tea, you have oolong, what you call oolong tea blends, mm -hmm. and it sounds like that means blending the oolong tea with um, some other ingredient, which is not tea, right? Because I think usually when you when I think of a tea blend, I think of that being a combination of different teas mixed together. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, you can call it. People call tea, and it's not actually tea, like peppermint is not really a tea per se it's an it's an herbal to sun um, because it's a herb it's not actually the tea plant itself mm -hmm. um, so you mean when we say a blend like yeah generally for us it's uh, oolong tea just whatever whichever kinds 
blending with a very unique herb that, or a good herb and tea combination that we think it's amazing. Um, it's usually blended with herbs. Right. So how do you come up with these tea blends? Like, can you maybe give me an example of like uh, some a process that you went through, like how you do the tasting, the testing, and all that? Um. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's serendipitous, like very random. Like I, I go to the farmers market a lot and. Um, we look at different kinds of herbs and we look at different kind of vendors um, and then we pick out what they have and I'll tell you what we have right now that's um, actually fully commercialized is the shiso and mountain range oolong blend mm-hmm. where shiso if you think about shiso, shiso is used in Japanese cooking and uh-huh. you don't actually see shiso very much in grocery stores or it's actually not very oftenly available mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of just randomly went to this um, this stand, and it's not random. It's a really good farmers farmers market stand. It's called right. Lots Farm. They're from New Jersey, um, and they actually supply a lot of the fine dining, like all the John George's restaurant, a lot of um, the restaurant fine dining. Oh, wow, okay. Um, for their produce, and they have really good quality produce, and it's completely organic. There's no pesticides. Um, and I was walking around looking at different lettuces that they have and different things that they have. And then I come across shiso, and I was like, oh, how interesting. Like, I love that. I love shiso with my sushi or with my, um, like, preserved plums or, you know, right, in the right. diet. But I was thinking, oh, what if we try to drink, that? what if we dehydrate this and make it like a tea? What would that be like? It was just a pure, and that's how I actually started, um, uh-huh. was with shiso. I'm like, oh, let's try it. So we tried it with different kinds of tea, and it was amazing. It was probably one of the most popular teas when we do tastings amongst people. People loved it. It's it's a mint family, so it's very refreshing mm. and has a lot of um, mm. notes of cinnamon and spices mm. from the actual shiso. And then when we pair that with a very um, light roast high mountain oolong, you get a very, very refreshing and del- delicate um, experience, and also it's full of flavors. So it's it's just fun, and for us it was like an eureka moment. It's awesome, and then um, then it's trying to you know can we commercialize this you know to scale? Is it easy to blend? Um, so we're doing a few tests on that, um, and that's it. And, tr- and also the other thing that we have to do quite a bit is make sure the measurements are right, the proportion, the ratio is right. Oh right, for and to have some kind of consistency. Yeah. Right, and that you know it's not overpowering either which way or not too faint where you can't taste it um so a little bit of calibration there to get it yeah wow and how many how many tea blends do you have is uh do you have any others besides the shiso um shiso is probably the the one that's the oldest one we also have a rose blend and unfortunately with the rose blend it's great it's really good rose and oolongs are very good but we couldn't um get a purveyor local purveyor for that mm. so what i did is i get it from um i believe it's a california vendor they mm. have all organic um, um herbs and flowers so we get our flowers from there uh-huh. um the other one that we do that we're trying to in the process of commercializing now is um some of the other herbs that we have and when you walk, go into the summer season is really the high season for all the herb growth so you starting now, you go to the farmers market, you see tons and tons of different kinds of herbs coming out, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, I have about eight herbs that I I'm looking at sitting on the counter, 
um, that we can that we're trying different things with. So there's marjoram; it's a very good one. Um, we did a lime basil, which is awesome. It's amazing, so refreshing, especially in the in the summertime. Like I would make a little carafe and bring it to the barbecue on a roof. Wow. Um, yeah. And what else? There's like quite a few. You know, there's different kinds of mint, especially um, that are really really in- interesting. Um, so yeah, we have a few in our back pockets that we're trying to kind of bring to light. Great, great. Yeah, and speaking of the summer, you know, in the summer people drink uh, more and more iced tea. So yeah. I'm wondering, like, what what would you say is the difference between hot tea and iced tea? I mean, besides the obvious. Um, no, I don't think there's any difference. Just different temperature. Like, you can brew it and then leave it to room temperature or put it in the fridge. Um, it's however... You want to you want to drink it if you feel like it's a little hot. You just put it, make the tea and leave it. And then a good tea could should be good at any temperature or any way you make it. You know, shouldn't ever be, you know, better or worse this way or the other. I mean, I would say probably yeah. If you want an iced tea experience, obviously the lighter, the lighter roast is probably more refreshing. Um, so there's that. But you know, any tea can be made into iced or cold hot or it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Right. And uh, where is your tea available for sale if anyone would like to um, purchase some? Um, right now we're selling on the website. So it's www.te-nyc.com. Um, we're selling that, you know, the per two-ounce package to the consumers. And then we are also tr- selling it right now. We're selling it into a – we sold, sold it into a restaurant in New York um, called Per Se. We have two varietals there. Um so if you happen to go visit a restaurant, check out their tea menu. Um, and then what we're trying to do aggressively is tr- trying to get artisanal food markets to carry us. So a similar of, of a Dina De Luca or a um, you know, you know smaller boutique food artisan stores, maybe a Williams Sonoma and retailers like that, uh-huh. working with them to see if we can um, be retailed there. Um, and then also the other one that we're trying to work through now is to, you know, have a, not so much have a storefront, but maybe like in one of those food markets, to, you know, we can have, uh, we can serve individual infusions of tea, um, ready to drink teas um, at those food markets. So that's something else that we're working on. Right. So just periodically to be out there um, sharing your product so people that can actually taste it. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, and when I was talking to Crystal and Jackie about the ECC, they talked about your launch party for day, which was in June. And I heard, you know, how you had some, you did some really inventive things with the oolong tea, like preparing certain foods and drinks that you infused with the oolong tea. They mentioned something uh, called like a pineapple twist, which is like kind of a... a version of the pineapple cake in Taiwan. Um, so I'm wondering, like, are there any plans for some sort of a cookbook on how to use oolong tea in cooking? Have you thought about that? Um, yeah, I mean, it may not come out from on a, as a book because I think there, it's a pretty hectic process to get that going. Um, but I think um, probably... If we do do something like that, it would be via the the blog page or something or a forum where we post things like that to share with everyone. I mean, it was a very fun experience for me 
um, um, and Fred, who's part of this whole team, is to create different kinds of snacks and things that either goes very well with tea or goes or has teas in it. So I think the pineapple twist that you mentioned, that was one of the things that was the first to go. Everyone loved it. It was basically pineapple cake, but made with puff pastry instead of um, the kind of the biscuity dough. It was very light, very refreshing, goes really well with iced tea or regular tea. It's a good snack. Um, it also has a really fun heritage of pineapple cake because it's what I grew up with. Um, and then we also had um, not just food. We had like crackers that are infused with tea and, you know, fruit dips and stuff that has teas in it, um, a trifle that's made of tea. And then we had not even just the food. We had liquor. We infused um, a light roast oolong with some gin, and so that was very, very popular when <laughs> people were making. Sure, um, it was uh, is actually a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, flavor. So there's a lot of things that we, yeah, I think in the future we'll, we would love to share that with people, and I think it's fun, right? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's such a different form of consuming the teas, um, and it's delicious and it's great. And it's good for you. Tea is very good for you. Yeah, great. So, what's next for Day Company? Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about before we end? Um, I think, um, you know, outside of the near-term goals that we want to do is, you know, try to be in the food markets and try to have a little stand to serve individual servings of teas. I think, um, ultimately, we would like a tea store, you know, ultimately. I, we want to share that experience of a round table, people sharing their experience instead of go sitting at a bar or a restaurant or a um, coffee shop it's a similar experience but you get to enjoy tea and it's a I think tea is a has a calming effect and has a more relaxed um, sensibility to it you know even the caffeine rush for tea is such much more focused it focuses you versus giving you a rush right so I think that creating an experience for people to come enjoy tea, enjoy their each other's company, you know, have a little snack and whatever. It's kind of like my dream of, you know, having a tea store. Obviously, we're not there yet today. Uh-huh. Um, but and I think that would be the next thing that we want to, you know, march forward to is having a tea store and having an environment and, you know, have the brand be real and it exist in a physical space for people to come and ex- experience. Um, so that's kind of the long-term dream, I guess. Right. Um, and the very long-term, I think when, when I first started doing this, um, one of the key points is to, or when I first started thinking about doing something on my own instead of working in a corporate environment was that, you know, I want to make a difference and kind of make a mark, you know, being in this life and being here. Right. Um, and w- w- what are the ways I could do that to give me a little bit of leverage uh-huh. Um, and with tea, I think eventually, if we have scale and if we have a voice, um, we can start to improve some of the, you know, production ways. You know, I, I, we can't right now can't say that all the teas are organic. Um, there's still probably different farms that you have to, you know, be very careful with which one you pick. So there's definitely. A lot of education things that we can still do um, from a production standpoint and educating the the, the garden for the tea gardens uh, in their production process and also educating people here on how to um, 
how to drink tea and with the health benefits of of tea that that comes with your life and um, some some of those more kind of spiritual things that I think we um, can also explore um, as a company. So those are some of the much longer goals. Uh, right. That we wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge, and uh, you know I can definitely see all the passion that you have for your product. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish you well that your company grows and um, thank you so much again for taking time out of your schedule no thank you this is good it's interesting when you when I think about it all the time when I actually like describe it to a person or it's you know it kind of sounds different to me too it's kind of interesting but yeah thank you for yeah the- yeah no my pleasure thank you for joining us for another episode of talking Taiwan I've been talking to Elena Liao of Dea company to learn more about her company or to order her teas, visit www.te-nyc.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lee. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.